The teaching text for today comes from Luke 12, 13 through 21, and 29 through 32. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told him, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, What should I do, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods in there. Then I'll say to myself, You have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, You fool, this, is ver this very night your life is demanded of you. In the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Thanks, Lydia. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? How are we doing without the coffee? Are we doing all right? Boo, I know. I mean, this is like a pastor's worst nightmare, is like to try to preach to people who are tired, you know? And it was just really cruel of Phil to talk about coffee, you know, and then not have any. But we have chili, so that is one thing. So hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Johnny, I'm one of the pastors here, and so this is the time we, we normally, our services uh, typically run this way. We do a, a few couple, uh, a couple of worship songs at the beginning, we have a teaching time, we have some announcements, or sorry, we have announcements, then some teaching time, and then we end, we'll end with some more uh, worship together. And so hey, I just want to highlight one other announcement, um, is hey, we have this thing coming up, you've heard us probably announce it. Um, it's coming up called Emotionally Focused. It's coming March 1st and 2nd. Can, can I raise the hand of those who've participated in some sort of Emotionally Focused? Would you mind? All right, and I want you to leave your hand up if it was, like, transformative for you. See, no one put their hand down, right? This is an incredible opportunity that we have here. Um, and registration, one of, one of the goals is registration is open for this. Um, and so uh, it is one of, our, one of the primary ways we see uh, discipleship in our church. And so if you have more information or want more information about what that all entails, uh, just go to our events page, um, and it's on there, and it has all that description, and you can register. So, hey, we are in a series called Matters of the Heart, and uh, we've kind of transitioned. So at the beginning of the year, we, we started with uh, just a, a, a sort of vague uh, thing, which was all about uh, matters of the heart, or what I would call spiritual formation, or this inner transformation that we go through as followers of Jesus. And so we went through this framework talking about our desires, talking about freedom, as, as this is one of the primary things that Jesus said he came for, was for our freedom and to have life. And we've, we've redefined uh, freedom in this capacity, that freedom is, uh, or true freedom, is the ability to want the right thing. Um, and there's a lot of things we could describe as the right thing, but mainly it's out of love. And then have the power or capacity to overcome the other competing desires in order to experience and do the right thing. And we, we're just beginning to talk a little bit about the role of church. And as a church, we are to come together to confront some of these cultural things that are trying to shape our hearts. And I, I, we're going to say this often, that, that your heart is continually being formed by someone or something in your life. Uh, whether it's advertisements, whether it's people, whether it's experiences, 
your heart is being constantly formed by many different things. And so we're going to address over from now, not like continuously, because I still want to have a church by September. Um, but just these things that are trying are coming after our heart. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago we talked about these uh, language the Bible uses are idols. These are idols that we can look to as uh, counterfeit gods. And so one of the things we're going to talk just briefly about is money. And uh, I want to be really clear. Uh, part of this is uh, a goal of mine is um, to reimagine the church's role in this. Okay? Uh, you know, the primary way churches, I think, have done this is to just ask for money. Okay? The purpose of this is not to ask for money. It's to sh see how money shapes our hearts in such a way. And so one of the ways I feel like the church should reimagine is just point to the words of Jesus. Like, that's our primary goal, is to, to point to the teachings of Jesus. Because here's the thing, I want you to think about this uh, real quickly as we start. I want you to think about who taught you or influenced you to think, or how to think about money or how to handle money. Like, I just want you to collectively, just think about maybe some of your adolescent experiences or maybe how your friends thought about money, maybe your family thought about or talked about or didn't talk about money. You guys, can you guys get some, at least, a, you know, maybe a, a general feel of, feel of how did you grow up, how to think about money? And here's the thing, this, this applies not just to money, but to a lot of different things. Um, uh, so as a youth pastor, you know, one of the things that, it's like part of the job description, but not part of the job description is you gotta like talk about sex like once a year. You know, you gotta do like a series on like sex and dating, and you gotta have to talk about it, because like parents are like, you know, I know what's going on, those hormones. Um, but, um, so I would always do this. Uh, anytime I taught on this with the students, is I'd, I'd have the students raise their hand. Hey, how many of your parents have talked to you about sex? And out of about 50 kids, I'd have like three kids that are like, you know, like three of them, you know? And then, so then I'd follow it up and say, okay, so if your parents didn't talk to you about this, uh, if the church is kind of like, you know, doesn't talk to you about a whole lot, like, then who has taught you about this? And inevitably, it was like, it's the school bus, right? The school bus teaches you everything about this, right? Uh, if, if some of you are like, I'm never taking my kid on a school bus again. But if, anybody ride a school bus? Like, it was an education system of its own that you got talked about. And then I would always do this, and this is where it would be like, okay, okay I think I understand why we need to talk about this is because, so our primary way of how we understand about, in this particular uh, scenario about sex, is by other middle school boys, all right, was our primary way of how we thought about this. And so, did I just like lose, am I good? Um, but would we want some middle school boys, just ask a couple of them, hey, would you come down and would you teach all of us how to think about sex, you know? Do you think that's a great idea? Um, but again, this is our, this is, I mean, for me, the bus, that, you know, 45 minutes, I learned a lot about things. And most of them were way wrong. Um, I won't go into that. But anyway, so I would think of us, I think it's important, because not does that apply to sex, but it just applies to a lot of things in life. We've had these primary things in our life, experiences, ways, values, like maybe even uncommunicated values that were, you know, unintentionally taught in our, I guess in our families and in our friends. Uh, because here's what I found too, just like sex, like, like uh, parents don't usually talk a lot about money to their kids. 
Um, they, they don't like sit down and you know, show them how to do a budget or do different things that typically isn't something that happens a lot. So again, I want us to think about how did we, how did we learn or what did we learn uh, or influence you in how to think about money or how to handle money? Uh, for me, you know, I can speak as a millennial. Uh, um, like MTV played a pretty <laughs> huge role in how to think about it. So maybe us who grew up in that generation, I mean, you guys remember like MTV Cribs? You guys remember that show? You got to tour like the mansions of different celebrities. And so like, you know, Destiny's Child before like Beyonce was queen, you know, like you got to see their house and see how many pools they had and all these different things. You know, you guys familiar with that? They, MTV had like Pit My Ride and you got to see these rides that like had all these elaborate things as cars. Uh, um, you know, I grew up like playing the Sims video game and you got to build your own mansion. Like some of you had to like do that by graph paper. Us millennials got to do that on a computer. You know, we got to design our own uh, houses and use cheat codes. But, um, but just think about it. We, we've been culturally formed in such a way to think about money and what does that mean for us and happiness and fulfillment in life. And, and that becomes the expectation, right? That in order to have this, this is the goal of life, to have like three swimming pools and two basketball hoops and the bowling alley and, and all these different things. That if you possess those things, man, you are living the life. And I don't know, about, I know some of us have different generational, so maybe uh, some of us older, uh, uh, some of the older folks, it's like collectibles, I can think of big things, you know, baseball cards to Beanie Babies to like glass were like really things I could just naturally think of. But even our younger generation, thinking about how YouTube and social media is influencing all of that. And, and one of the things that's a startling statistic is it can set up for an expectation for life and be very disappointing, right? It can set up this expectation of, of in order to live the life, I, I know growing up it was like, you gotta become a famous sports person to, in order to live that life. Uh, if you're now in this younger generation, you gotta be a YouTube influencer or an Instagram influencer, and then you can really have the life. And so uh, it's just interesting statistic where uh, those who are graduating high school or even college, their expectation for salary is six figures. Like, Everybody expects, right, coming out of college that, that I'm gonna make over six figures in my first time job. And like the average is like 40, 40,000 maybe, maybe, uh, if you look. So it sets them up of, of this a disappointment of life. And I think for most of us, if we're real honest, and we think about money and different things, uh, I would say, as we talked about this in the series, there's, there's desires. I'm sure many of you, if I went around the room, as followers of Jesus, we, we, I think we want the right thing for most of us. We, we desire to be more generous or to be out of debt, to have peace around finances, uh, to have an alignment in marriage when it, when, it, when it comes to thinking about financial decisions, to desire to take care of, of your loved ones, whether it's your kids or your aging parents or your grandkids, you have a desire to do those sorts of things. But I would say most of us also have a desire just to know that we'd be taken care of, that we would have enough. And so one of the things we're going to look at is what does Jesus have to say about money? Because whether uh, it's a middle school boy or uh, MTV or whatever, QVC or whatever, uh, the goal would be to see that Jesus becomes the primary source of how we think about things. That, that we need reoriented and, and think about what if Jesus 
was the primary source in how we thought about all these different things of life, but also money, because the reality is Jesus had a lot to say about it. And so that's what we're going to read about here in Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, uh, grab those out. We're just going to, like, we're just sitting in here. We're not going to a lot of different scriptures. We're just going to kind of marinate in in Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have these little baskets under the seats that you can use. If you don't have one personally, you can take it home. So here we are. um, And this is like, this is a cool way. It's like a pattern that Jesus had and how he taught. It's just the quintessential way of how Jesus taught both to crowds and disciples. So someone from the crowd said to him, talking to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So real quick, I just want to get uh, familiarized with this uh, before we jump in some context. Um, so right now, this is, uh, this is about a crowd. So just picture Jesus with a crowd and someone coming up to Jesus with this major question. And it has to deal with inheritance. And we don't know the details. We don't know if this is like a, an injustice where he is due this inheritance. He, this very well could be that, that his brother is like made a way to where he has, he has accumulated the whole inheritance for himself and, and the brother gets nothing, which that would be an injustice. Um, on the other hand, we, we just don't know the details. But yet Jesus, the way he responds to this situation is he asks a question. And if you look throughout the Gospels, whenever someone asks Jesus a question, he always just asks another question, um, and then usually doesn't answer it. But, um, so he goes on and says, he says this, and so I just want you to think about this. How many have, have experienced family feuds over an inheritance? Yeah, it's ugly, right? It's, it's, it's not fun. If you've either personally experienced that, or... Uh, maybe you know someone close to you. Like, I want you to understand this is the type of situation we're in. There's this, in, there's this feud happening among family where the dividing factor is what? Money. And so this is what Jesus says. He says, friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. That's it. He doesn't answer the question. He, he uses this opportunity to, to speak this warning to the crowd. There's a warning, and then he makes a statement about reality. Here's the warning. Watch out and be on guard against all greed. It's, it's, this, it's this notion, and again, this seems a little bit like, yeah, watch out, be careful, like, this is like military language, is what he's kind of using. Like, hey, this is a threat that, that could happen and come after you. Be on guard. Be ready. Uh, watch out for this. And this element is about greed. And I call it, it's that greed is this idea, it's this promise of that if you just get more, you'll be satisfied, right? It's, if you just get more, uh, life will be better. If you just get more. And here's the thing about greed, it's a really bad gospel. It's a really bad gospel. It, it'll overpromise and underliver every single time. There may be some gain, but your, your, gain, your cost will always outweigh your gain. If you do your cost benefit analysis, the cost is always going to be greater than the benefit. This is the bad news about gospels, Jesus, or about greed. And Jesus is saying, be on guard against greed. Be on guard against it. And he makes this statement. It's just a statement about reality. He says this one's life is not. Uh, one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. 
And so I'm just going to break this down just a little bit, uh, just to kind of help you understand a little bit what Jesus is talking, to, uh, talking about here. Uh, they, the Greek language actually had three different words for life that Jesus could have used. Um, the first one would be called bios. It's where we get the word biology. It's just kind of the study of life. It's, uh, it's how you recognize if something's alive or dead. This is the Greek used, would use bios. Another word that gets translated as life comes from the word psych. It's where we actually get the word psychology. It's where we get the word soul. It's talking about our inner life, uh, if you would say. And then there's a third word that uh, the Greek uses. It's called zoe. Zoe, uh, this is the word that Jesus uses in this example, is what is referred to as the quintessential life. It's the perfect example of life. It's to the life offered to humanity and the call to follow Jesus through him in a personal relationship with the Father. See, the first form of, of life, bios, could in fact be measured by one's possession. But Luke doesn't use that word. He uses the word zoe. It's the word that describes God's life or a with God life and the abundant God life offered to the world in the, in the, word, in the form of Jesus. It's in John 10, 10, if you're familiar with that, it says, Jesus says, I've come to give you life to the full. It's zoe to the full. So Leon Morris says, he describes it this way, just to, to get an understanding of what uh, Jesus is trying to say. He's saying zoe life cannot be reduced to, measured by, or satisfied by stuff. We do not earn or merit zoe, but receive it freely and undeservedly from God through the person of Jesus Christ. Zoe is relational rather than material. It's I-thou rather than I-it. It's eternal rather than temporal and fading. See, bios leaves us restless and uh, insatiable, always hungering for more, but zoe produces contentment, peace, and joy. So be on guard, says Jesus, against, against trying to achieve and satisfy zoe with things. This is what he's trying to say. Basically, Jesus is saying there is more to life than accumulating. There's more to life than possessions. There's more to life than money. And I think we, we kind of need to understand that, especially for um, all of us. This, this, this money will not be able to accomplish or achieve the things of Zoe. Zoe cannot be accumulated or achieved. So then he goes on and he, he kind of backs us up with a really strange story. It would always be the story that would, the crowd would be like, yeah, that's weird. And then they would kind of like go on. But this is what the story he says. And I'm going to highlight a few things in this parable. I want you to get the gist. So then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. So we have a rich man has more land that's very productive. We've got a, the richer getting richer kind of scenario here. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have any, anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all of my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night of your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, those will they be, or whose will they be? That's how it is with, those, with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So real quick, I, I want to understand, like, God doesn't have lightning bolts ready for somebody to, like, who, who doesn't handle their finances well, all right? This is not what this story is all about. But did you see the I, the my's, the talking to themselves? 
And in this, this is, a, this is like a, a way that Jesus would do it. Like, it would have been overemphasized as he told it. You would have got this picture. All this dude thinks about is himself. See, one of the reasons he was a fool was he, had a, he didn't have a vision beyond himself. He didn't have a vision beyond his belly. It was all about what could this do for me. Instead of, and, and does that make sense? This was a very relational culture. So just imagine you are relationally connected to your family, to your community, and here's a situation where he gets this, he's already got a full barns. He's already satisfied, yet he gets abundantly even more than that, and yet he doesn't have a vision for it behind himself. Does that, you guys get this picture? To the point where it's, it's probably what some commentators say, it's riches has, has been his like, primary motivator in his life to where he's gotten to a place in his life he actually has no, nobody to share it with. That he, he, it, the things he's enjoyed has left him isolated and alone. And yet he still sees this big uh, harvest as just a way to build bigger barns to just continue to fill his bellies. That's pretty foolish, right? And one of the other ways that it's foolish is he, he thought that money could ultimately give him the ultimate security. That just having bigger barns and bigger things, that that is what's going to protect him from everything. That money is all that is needed. But that very night, right, not only uh, did that not, uh, did not, not protect him, but now the question is literally, now who's this going to be? Because you don't have anybody in your life like actually give that to you. Do you guys, do you guys see the picture here? This is like a sad story. This isn't like somebody who's won the lottery, you know, and, and made it big. This is like a sad story of something, this guy receiving all this blessing, all this wealth, and he has no vision for it but his stomach, for his own needs. And it's left him relationally alone. Um, and another way that, that, that just as Augustine memorably exposes his folly, he says, he did not realize that the bellies of the poor are much safer, safe rooms than his barns. So the main point of this, there is more to life than accumulation. There's more to life than money. There's more to life than making six figures. There's more to life than having your dream home or that sort of thing. Uh, Jesus is making this statement again to the crowd. While they can provide you some things, it can't provide you the ultimate things. See, the life you are ultimately looking for cannot be achieved or accumulated, but it's only a life that can be received. It can be only accepted as a gift. You guys remember, you guys know Jim Carrey, right? Dumb and Dumber, you guys with me? I guess I gotta go like Sonic for like the younger kids, or, like Dumb and Dumber. Like what movie is that, you know? Ace Ventura, anybody? All right, anyway, but he's, he's famously saying this. He, he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you've been persuaded of this. Uh, you know, again, we've been persuaded pretty, you know, aggressively in our culture that this is the way to life. And uh, I know for me, um, that, that was my story. That's what I was persuaded to believe was if you just make enough money, if you have a doctor in front of your name, you, you could buy the lake house, uh, the, the nice car, and you will, you will live it up. So that's why I pursued dentistry of all things. I was willing 
to smell everybody's bad breath in order to achieve this life. Now, if you're a dentist, I'm thankful for you. Um, but this is what I was pursuing. This was my life. Was that, that's what I would after. If I had, in my mind, I had this, this scale, a chart, that it was just a, up and to the right. Again, the more money you make, the more happy you are. And so that was, so I'm a college student in Ohio State, and maybe some of you heard my story. I was at a college student. I was, I was um, you know, in line, ready to go to dental school. And uh, here I was, I think I was uh, going into my junior year of college. I decided to go on a mission trip to Honduras um, for all the wrong reasons. Um, my, my girlfriend at the time, her dad was a dentist, and I, I had it all lined up and planned out, and I was going to pull some teeth, put it on a resume, hopefully get into uh, dental school. And yet, when I was there, what I expected to see was, again, if I, I have a mentality, a worldview, up and to the right. I expected to see poor Hondurans to be all sad and mopey, like, oh, here, I, we're going to come in and we're going to, you know, help them out, right? You guys would expect to see that, right? And, uh, and Norm, I think Norm's here. He was on that trip with me, and um, it changed my worldview because I didn't see gloomy people. I saw people that were way more content than I was. And uh, we went to this little rural village right before we were prepping to, uh, you, know, you know, do our little dental and medical clinic, and there was uh, an older woman. Uh, she was the pastor of the church, uh, and this is why I fully believe in women pastors. Um, she was in this, in this rural church, and we went and we toured. It was the poorest place I had ever seen in my life. Um, and, and so she gathered us all around, and, um, you know, she spoke Spanish. I didn't speak Spanish. I had no idea what she was saying. And um, she wanted to pray for us as a group. So she gathered us around, and we, we, she prayed over us, and she had just eluded life that I have never, I, again, what I thought to expect. And, and right then and there I go, she possesses something that I don't have. She has this life what I would, that I don't have, that I'm seeking. There's a contentment, there's a joy. And in that moment, I, I, it was one of, the, one of the major times where I experienced the presence of God in my life. And I said, I want what she has. And I'm willing to give my life to whatever she has. And it just, it flipped. Now, it doesn't mean, I mean, I happened to go into ministry, but it, it, it wasn't, it's not for everybody, right? It's, that just changed my paradigm because of what I thought this world for you would lead me, and yet there was something that she had that I wanted that I was willing to say, okay, I, I'll, um, you know, I'll follow you, Jesus, the rest of my life. If I can have what she has, I want that. And, um, you know, it eventually led me out of dentistry, and, and this is my, my experience. Um, but this is his thing. Have you been persuaded of that? That there's more to life than that. There's this Zoe life, this life that Jesus offers. And this is the life he invited his disciples to, to come under me, and I'm going to show you how to live in this God-life reality of this kingdom of God breaking into your life, how to live into it. So the next thing in Luke is he, he then he pulls his disciples aside, and he says this to them. This is, this is a message to his disciples, his apprentices, those who have accepted his invitation to, to learn under him of how to experience life. And this is what he says to them. Therefore, I tell you, again, because of what I just told you about the warning, the statement of reality, this, this rich guy who's alone, don't worry about your life. 
what you will eat or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. It says, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? He says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. For some Gen Z, it's like Solomon was dripped out in all his, you know, things. What's more uncool than a, like, a late 37-year-old man saying drip? Anyway, um, if that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? So again, he, he's kind of teaching his disciples. He's pulling them aside, saying, don't worry about your life. It's easy to worry about these things, right? It's easy to worry about, are we going to have enough? Or, or are we going to be able to provide these sorts of things? And Jesus, uh, he, he's not saying, like, if you worry, like, you suck. Okay? I want, I want you to understand that in some way, I guess. He's, he's saying, he's, he's, I want you to understand. Like, worry doesn't have to be the driver of your life. Your emotions, your, even your negative emotions, they don't have to be the driver of your life where you are consumed by fulfilling and satisfying those things. Don't let your emotions be the driver of your life. But if you find yourself worried, if you find yourself stressed out about finances, if you find yourself in a situation where you don't know if you have enough, I'm going to give you a tool to reorient what you think. He wants you to look at ravens. Now, ravens in that culture did not have like any value, right? You didn't go and sell ravens, okay? It's good news for Browns fans, okay? Like, ravens had no value, okay? And he says, just look at them, though. Look how God provides for them. Uh, Wildflowers, look at these things. Uh, I want you to think about them. Just reorient your thinking. See, he wants to show you, gives you these disciples a tool, right? When you find yourself worrying, he says, I want you to remember God's care for the humble, unassuming things of life. The life forms that nature has to teach us about just trust in God. I, I want you to persuade yourself again. Look at the ravens. Look at the wildflowers. Remember your value that God has for you. Remember how God cares for you. I want you to live into that reality. Let that be the driver of your life. God's care and value for you. And then he says this. Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink. And don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He says, don't organize your heart, don't organize your, uh, again, your life around accumulation. That's just going to lead to the same place as everybody else, those Gentiles who don't know God. He says, but seek first his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock. Do you guys see the care of Jesus in this passage? Don't, Don't be afraid, little flock, because the Father delights to give you the kingdom. I think Eugene Peterson uh, just paraphrases this so well. He says it this way, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. 
People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions, and you'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. This is what Jesus is trying to persuade. Jesus is trying to persuade, hey, you can trust in the provision of God. You can depend on the provision of God. You can live in such a way where you can be at rest with knowing that, that God cares for the things that you, that, that you need. He knows what you need. And I think that here's the reality that most of us face, is we just have not been convinced of this, if we're real honest. We haven't been persuaded to say, you know, this, this care of God in our life is, is the reality we get to live under. And uh, do I have any country music fans in here? Anybody? Some of you, like, I, I feel like there's really good, like there's hardcore country music fans, and there's like people who hate country music, all right? I'm somewhere in between, okay? You know, like when you're driving down the road in your truck and your dog just died, you know, country music is really, it just hits different. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna sum up this song. I think it's from Chris Jansen. He says this, and if you, you know country music, you're gonna recognize it, right? He says, I ain't rich, but I sure wanna be. Working like a dog all day ain't working for me. I wish I had a rich uncle that kicked the bucket. That's a little, that's not, that's not right. Anyway, um, and, I was sitting on, and I was sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it could buy me a boat. I'm not gonna sing it for you because then you would all just leave. And uh, this is, I'm not a good karaoke. But it could buy me a boat, it could buy me a truck to pull it, it could buy me a Yeti 110 ice down with some silver bullets. He's not talking about the Buckeyes, all right? Just so you're aware. Yeah, and I know what they say, money can't buy everything. Well, maybe so, but it can buy me a boat. All right, this is where I'm gonna keep going, right? They call me a redneck, white trash, and blue collar, but I could change all that if I had a couple million dollars. I keep hearing that money is the root of all evil, and you can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. He's quoting Jesus here, all right? Kind of, because he missed it. It's not money is the root of all evil. I want to have a conversation with him a little bit. It's the love of money. Anyway, probably didn't flow in the song. I'm sure that's probably true, but it still sounds pretty cool because it could buy me a boat. Do we, do we get this? Like, I think this is where we're at. Like, I know the things of Jesus. Like, I've heard about the, the teachings of Jesus, but I know these, I, like, I can, if I get these things, it's going to make me happy. You guys, like, you guys feel that tension? I feel like this is the culture we swim in. Um, you know, it's like, is this, are we been persuaded of this? Because I think this is where we've been persuaded, is... Yeah, I know that stuff about Jesus, and I'm going to kind of try, but this is, this, is, this is the world I believe in. And, and yet, I would say it's, most of us have become restless, and, and we just think about that next thing, the next thing, the next thing, because now it's not just a boat. And I'm like, if you have a boat, don't, this, like, boats are great, you know. Yeti's cool, all right? Those are good things. I'm not, I'm not saying those are disqualifiers. You can't do those sorts of things. But right, if that becomes the vision for your life, right? There's so much more. And that's the difference from someone who stays in the crowd and someone who disciples under Jesus, who apprentices under Jesus, 
who says, Jesus, I don't want to just be like a Christian. I, I, I want to be a, a disciple. I want to be an apprentice under you where I give you, I, I trust Jesus that what you say, the statement of reality, I believe it. I'm going to live under it. I'm going to trust you with everything that I have. I'm going to trust you in how I think about finances. I'm going to trust you how I think about sex. I'm going to trust you with every aspect of my life because, Jesus, you are not just my Savior. You're my Lord. You're my, you're my rabbi. And, I, I, I'm, and you have the words to life. And so I'm going to trust you. This is the vision that, that he has for us. And so for many of us, that means we got to have to kind of think about have we, have we decided not to just be, to stay in the crowd? Have we decided to say, Jesus, I'm your apprentice. I'm going to follow you. I'm going I'm to look at my whole life and look at how you think about these sorts of things, and I'm going to line myself up with you. And, and, and if, you, if you know, like, a trade, if you're familiar with the trades, right, if you're an apprentice as an electrician, right, you better trust and do everything that electrician says. Because <laughs> there's consequences, Right? And, and, and so it's learning to say, I'm going to trust you as not just as an apprentice, or I'm going to trust you not just as my savior and get into heaven, but like, I'm trusting with you in my whole life. What you say is reality, I trust in you. And so, um, just think about, have you, do you see yourself, do you see your finances as a way just to say, this is part of my discipleship, this is how I'm going to follow Jesus. A couple things, uh, just because I'm way, I'm over time, but. Um, just a couple things I, you know, this season's not great for wildflowers, okay? Um, or ravens, really, I guess. Um, so I want to give you some reminders. If you leave today, I got these little printouts. Um, just put these visual reminders. I think we constantly need that reminder of, of God's care for us, especially when we are, um, you know, when we get stressed or worried. So put them on your bathroom mirror, you know, um, uh, on your truck. As you listen to country music, you can have that, uh, you know, raven there. But just have those visual reminders of the care um, that God has for you. And finally, um, I said at the beginning, I just want to reimagine how the church's role uh, plays in our finances. And, and I understand that some have not seen the church as a safe place to do this. So I recognize some of you are coming in, and you don't see this as a safe place to, to think about finances. Like, because the whole goal is... The church has an agenda, and that's fine. But um, can I reimagine that for us a little bit? Like, I really want to work hard. I know I'm not perfect. Uh, one of my, uh, one of my real, I just feel like the Lord is, is to create a safe place in the church. Um, and I know I'm not perfect. And I know I'm probably going to screw up. But uh, it's been my experience. And um, I did not think I was going to get emotional. Um, but it's been, it's for my wife and I, the church has been a safe place. Um, it's, it's, it's been something we want to pass on to other people. Um, ooh, wow. Um, so for, it started for my wife, uh, you know, Jim Dommeyer, you know, sat down with my wife and, um, taught her how to budget, how to think about finances. And, uh, and then me, who, man, when I got money, it was like, how am I going to spend it? You know, that's how I was going in. So I got to sit down with, with her and Jim, and he, he, he began to paint a different picture of how uh, we could reorient our life on how to, um, you know, uh, live in a way that honors God and 
and, and work together and be on the same page. And so for 12 years, that's been huge and crucial for us. And, and it's, Jim was not a paid staff person. Um, he had no rule at the, uh, no, uh, I mean, he was our food pantry coordinator who got paid nothing to, you know, work a lot of hours. Um, but Jim just sat down with us and, and taught us how to budget and, and different things. That was, that was so important for us. And so we want to create some ways that if you are in a situation with your finances that you wouldn't see the church as not a safe place, but you could see the church as a place where you can find people, non even staff people, to help you uh, work this. So we have a finance team. Uh, Tim's part of that. Uh, Paula's part of that. There's some other people part of that. And they've defined a little, uh, an opportunity to basically come alongside of you and, and, and come alongside of your finances if you need help with that. So we have a class. It's just called Finding Financial Freedom. Uh, it starts in a couple of weeks. And uh, it's just a, a, to come alongside. They're not going to shame you. They're not going to make you feel like, oh, you're spending that much money on whatever, Taylor Swift items. Like, um, <laughs> like they're not going to judge you, all right? They, they might pose you a couple questions, but they help you. like, what are you want? What do you want for your finances, and how can we work together to get those? You guys are saying, like, this is the, what the goal of the church should be. And we have some sages and people who've handled their finances so well, and they are generous, and they are, are just, their life um, eludes the gospel, and they have no official position. They're, they don't have official positions. But there are also at the same time like some young 20-somethings, uh, some young people, even it, it, people, married people in their 30s, 40s, that could use people coming alongside of them and, and being in a safe place to just process all those things. And so this is a great uh, thing uh, for you. I mean, you could do the Dave Ramsey thing, whatever, have that at it. But, man, I still feel like the church should be the, a place, uh, a safe place for you. So I'm going to have the uh, Kevin worship team come forward. And um, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to end with a different song. It's not a country song. Um, but it's a song I want us to live into. Uh, I just discovered it this past week. Uh, it's a song, a guy by the name John Guerra. Um, it's my best Spanish. Um, but he says this. It's this quote. It says, In some way or another, the Lord will provide. I'm going to say that again. In some way or another, the Lord will provide. It may not be my way. It may not be your way. But he will. At some time or another, the Lord will provide. It may not be my time. It may not be your time. Trust in the Lord, and the Lord will provide. Yes, we'll trust in the Lord, and the Lord will provide. Yes, we'll trust in the Lord.